Welcome to MuggleCast episode 402. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Laura, are you okay? You sound a little <laughs> a little off. Uh, I had a really good time last night. How good. <laughs> and I warned you guys preemptively when we scheduled this that I was probably going to be very hungover during the recording. And would you look at that? I am. Were you so. singing? What? Were you singing or talking loud? Yeah, there was a lot of loud talking happening because it was the music and the venue was really loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you got to say a lot to explain to people how you're a Harry Potter podcaster. Yes, that definitely takes some explanation, but it's always a fun explanation, if that helps. It is. <laughs> I had this experience a few days ago meeting somebody for the first time and he's a huge harry potter fan and even he asked me how do you guys still have stuff to talk about i'm like dude come on you've read the books you know you know yeah and movies are getting production dates pushed back we got a lot to talk about (laughs) that could take up a whole episode yeah it really could analysis and videos are going viral you know speaking of that i wanted to start the show today i wanted to call uh, somebody who actually listens to our show you may know her. She's been in the headlines this week. Her dog went viral because she has taught her dog Remus, an adorable doxy, how to obey Harry Potter spells. I saw BuzzFeed tweet this video at least 10 times. So well, it must be on, doing Andrew. very well for them. Hold on. BuzzFeed? Yeah, BuzzFeed. Do have we you heard of them? Is this? No, I have. I'm just saying, given recent news, do we know that this is actually legitimate? Can it be trusted? I don't, well, we'll Is call, the dog real? We'll call Anna and confirm the authenticity. I want the dog on the show. <laughs> Hi, Anna. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. You posted this video of Remus on your YouTube channel? Yeah. First, it was on my YouTube channel. And it evidently went viral very quickly. What was that like? Did... did does BuzzFeed ask you for permission when they take your video and tweet it like 3,000 times? <laughs> I, I I can't actually remember if BuzzFeed was one of the ones that emailed for permission. I don't think they were. Um, but maybe... Mm. So I put it up on YouTube first on Saturday, and then I think I tweeted it maybe the next day as an embedded video on Twitter, and that's where it took off. Um very quickly. So how did you decide to train Remus to do these spells? And oh. how do you train your puppy to obey? And I mean, even at the most basic level, I've yet to teach my dog how to do any trick whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was kind of like the obvious option, right? Especially when he's Remus and Harry Potter's <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um, I think there's just so many spells that are so obvious um like playing dead and stay stuff like that that there are spells that just literally mean that and that you don't even have to stretch for so i don't know it just kind of felt like the obvious but it's it's pretty simple as long as you can teach them to do the normal command you just pick a different word when you're teaching them so Uh i just end up googling a lot of like how to teach your dog do this and then i just use a different word <laughs> ah okay smart so how long did it take you to teach remus all of these spells um let's 
see. It's January now, and I got him in May when he was two months old. I started teaching him not long after that. He might have been three months old. Um, he learned Stupefy and Guardian Leviosa pretty early on. <laughs> um, he's got those down pat. Stupefy is like his favorite. Um, <laughs> but And then I just kind of added a couple along the way in the months after that. And then a bunch of them were just really in the past week before the video went up that I just kind of made up for the video. Like, he doesn't really eat when I say Engorgio. It's just like a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) So, And then Lumos and Knox um, were also like the day before. Because he was used to pushing a button for Alohomora, so it was pretty easy to teach him to push a button for Lumos. So (laughs) He knows how to... He knows how to push buttons? Yeah, you just t- you play a little treat next to this button on the ground and he'll like be trying to get at the treat and eventually he pushes the button and you <laughs> give him the treat and reward him and eventually he learns push the button, get the treat and then you add the word to it and he learns hear the word, push the button and get the treat. Um, this is a talented yeah. dog. Wow. <laughs> I feel like, Anna, you have a big business opportunity here. You could tour the country <laughs> teaching dogs Harry Potter spells. People would shell out money for this. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. All right? the puppies. Oh, you know everybody <laughs> wants to do this and then film it for Instagram and post it. Everybody would yes. be so jealous. Oh, yeah, this man. is like the ultimate side hustle you got going on here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite responses has been someone sent me a video of their dog and said, you inspired me and I taught my dog um, Harry Potter spells and it's just them pointing at their dog and being like, stupefy. And the dog just sits there and they're like, good girl. And they pet her and they're like, or whatever. Lugadium Leviosa. Nothing happens. That's amazing. Good girl. Oh, well, that's great. Thank you so much. We just wanted to uh, check in with you quick because you and I were Twitter friends. And I, I, it took me a while to realize that it was you behind the video. I was like, oh, my God. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So um, people who don't know that I have that dog <laughs> also did not realize. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, he is named after the Harry Potter character, Remus. What, oh, yeah. So Remus is your favorite character? He's... I think definitely my favorite professor and I think one of the most underrated characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's and werewolf. So that's why I went with him. Cool. Well, uh, MuggleCast is putting some treats for Remus into the mail and thanks for your time. And uh, thank you for uh, getting up early to uh, speak with us. Oh, my pleasure. This has been a dream for over 10 years. <laughs> you have been listening for a while, haven't you? Yes. Fantastic. All right. Thank you and uh, have a good Sunday. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Love to Remus. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's she's so sweet. cute. What a feel good. What a feel good thing. I what know. a feel good thing for her to do. All right. So on to some news now. So we have two Fantastic Beasts story to talk about. One is about the movie that came out last November. We now know when the movie is going to be released to watch in the comfort of our own home. It'll be released digitally on February 15th. And then on March 12th, it will be released on DVD Blu-ray. 
Um, the DVD Blu-ray will include deleted scenes and it will include an extended cut, but the weirdly, the extended cut won't be on the disc. You will receive a digital code to watch the extended cut digitally. <laughs> so, um, we're only a month away from being able to see the film again, which is good because I think we all need to see it again. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm particularly interested to see all of the scenes that hit the cutting room floor. Yeah. Yeah. To see if those give well, us some answers. <laughs> and they're particular they will be particularly interesting because presumably JK Rowling wrote them. So they are arguably canon. <laughs> if anything right. interesting happens to them. Well, are they canon if they didn't make the final film? That's the big question. If we get any answers from these extra scenes, which I assume we will, because how could you not? <laughs> Should we take those as uh, canon? I think we need to tweet J.K. Rowling and get an official response. Yeah. I know. She's really kind of um, raising a lot of questions about what it's like to grow a world with different kinds of media. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could have an entire episode dedicated to the nuances of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, there's nobody else we can really ask. I think if J.K. Rowling says it's canon, then it's canon. But if anyone else says it, like, let's say, producer David Heyman or director David Yates, eh, doesn't really have as much weight behind it. Right. And I think going back to the trailers that we saw for Crimes of Grindelwald, there were scenes that were in those trailers that did not make the actual film. I remember one specifically was Credence and Nagini on the rooftop and he's channeling his obscurus Mm. right so i wonder how many we can go back and actually find that were in trailers that didn't end up making the final cut yeah there's there's a whole uh, list on uh the hogwarts professor website uh of deleted scenes analyzing uh some of those trailer moments and there's also that ball that lita was a part of she's in like a fancy dress oh yeah and it's a yeah at the ministry or something like no idea where that i i know we we questioned previously on the show where something like that would have fit into the movie maybe with the extended edition that's coming out maybe we'll see maybe it's maybe it really is just you know a quick shoe in doesn't take much time to set up that there's a ball but I'm just so surprised that they're doing an extended version because that means for some reason they're putting stuff back into the film that was cut. Is that an admission of some sort of, yeah. I don't know, impropriety or like, hey, these I think, belong in there? I think it's just a special feature. Yeah, They always do this. Yeah. A lot of um, DVD Blu-rays do this. I actually will argue now that these are canon because if J.K. Rowling wrote them, she intended for them to be in the movie and then the filmmakers cut in, cut out these scenes for time for pacing so huh canon i say yeah it's just it's going to be so difficult if the extended edition is only ver- available digitally to like get other people to see these additional scenes i don't know the people with well like, they don't matter that much they're probably all gonna suck <laughs> i i'm expecting bombshells like i'm really expecting like, it, <laughs> it there were so many questions raised by this movie that you feel like if you had even 60 seconds more screen time surely one of those questions would be answered surely these extended scenes are not just going to raise more questions We'll see. Well, we have two months of waiting for that extended edition. <sighs> We're one month away from just watching the main film. So the bigger news, and this broke on Friday night, Fantastic Beast 3 has delayed production. They were supposed to start sometime in the summer. They have now moved to late autumn, according to Deadline. 
Deadline also says it just boils down to more prep time for part three and that Warner Brothers executives now have a new approach of allowing big productions to brew as needed, end quote. (laughs) And as I pointed out in my Hypable article, this follows years of bad reviews for DC films. And then most recently, of course, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. I mean, right now, the film, just to remind everybody, it has a Rotten Tomato score of a 38%. It did get panned critically. It was it was very busy. There was there was a lot to like in it. I thought, and I enjoyed it more the second time. But it is a very busy film, so I guess we can't say we're surprised. No, <laughs> is this an ad, is this an admission that they at least kind of screwed up on Fantastic Beasts two? I think it's a not admission. I don't think you're ever going to get the studio or J.K. Rowling coming out and admitting like, hey, that movie didn't come out quite the way we wanted it. We're sorry. We want to make sure that we do a better job on the next one. Uh, So I think the excuse that we got about needing more time for pre-production and to let the idea sort of like brew, that's the closest we're going to get (laughs) to acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's definitely why. I agree with with Laura. I think that it's about maybe even hearing some of the feedback from Crimes of Grindelwald and taking a look at the script for Fantastic Beasts 3 and saying, hold on, there are some things that maybe we tried to get across in the last film that we didn't, or there are things that we left out that we shouldn't have, and now we need to go through this with a fine-tooth comb and make sure that Fantastic Beasts 3 answers the questions that maybe a lot of people had coming out of the last film. Mm. I don't even think it's really about answering the questions. I think it's more about making sure that they have a coherent story that will be well-received. Because the sanctity of the franchise is on the line. Truly, they can't keep releasing bad movies. This doesn't just affect Fantastic Beasts. This affects Harry Potter, too. Because casual moviegoers might be going into Fantastic Beasts before ever seeing or reading Harry Potter. And if they're seeing a product in Fantastic Beasts that is bad, they're not going to bother going over to Harry Potter. And this also affects the theme parks and Pottermore's business and the book sales, like Mm. all the merchandise out there. There's a lot on the line. That's why, you know, there's a lot of pressure around Star Wars as well right now, because people are afraid that they might be screwing up Star Wars. Um you know, this actually, this kind of happened with, with Star Wars. The Han Solo movie came out, and it got so-so reviews, and then they hit pause on more Solo movies. Yeah. So, solo character movies, not Han Solo. It's actually a really movies. good yeah. comparison. Yeah, and, th- and that came after all of that um, Last Jedi backlash from a pretty large, regrettably, uh, subset of uh, Star Wars fans who mm-hmm. didn't think who didn't think that movie was hot sauce. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird to see these two major franchises almost in the same sort of territory. Laura had brought up a point the four of us were texting about this on Friday night, as you do. (laughs) And, uh, Laura, you had mentioned, uh, that they were banking on automatic praise just because it's the wizarding world. Yeah, absolutely. I think they are so used to Potter fans being hungry for more story that will sort of take what we're given. Um, and I think that's true to an extent. 
But unfortunately, when we're given something that feels sort of like half-baked, um, the literary sleuths among us are not going to accept that. We're going to have a lot of questions. Yes. And I think I think that's a testament to sort of the generation of people that J.K. Rowling inspired. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. she kind of bred that in us. <laughs> so now we're kind of pushing back and being like, hey, this maybe wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They also had it kind of easy with the Harry Potter movies because they were basing them off of these books that were incredibly well received. This time, they're kind of in the dark. And and getting back to our text convo, I had added that I think they trusted J.K. Rowling to know what the fans were going to like. So Warner Brothers may have looked at that Crimes of Grindelwald script and said, you know... <sighs> we're a little nervous about this. We have some problems, you know, Hollywood wise, this doesn't really check out, but we trust JK Rowling. She knows what she's doing. She's essentially doing this film series for us. She doesn't really have anything to gain from us. Let's, let's let her, let's shoot this script as she wrote it. Let it ride. And now they're realizing they can't trust her to know (laughs) what the fans want. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't put everything solely on J.K. Rowling. I think that you need to remember that David Heyman is still there. He's been there throughout all of the Potter films. Uh, David Yates uh, directed, what, four of the Potter films, five of the Potter films. So Mm -hmm. there are people there who know what works and, and what doesn't work and have spent a lot of time in this world. And I'm sure there are others that... I'm leaving out, but those two kind of jump uh, kind of to the top of mind for me. And I, and I think that they would be willing to push back if, if needed. Yeah. They wouldn't produce something that was overtly confusing, but, or at least I I didn't think so, you know, because like they, uh, there's, I think on the first fantastic beasts um, special features, they talk about the process and they talk about how JK Rowling delivers pages of script. And then she and Heyman and Yates all like go through it point by point by point to really break the story of the film. And that's before production happens. That's before sets are built. That's before. So the idea that a movie as befuddling as crimes of Grindelwald can make it to the the screen, the version that we saw seems to indicate that at least, Heyman and Yates understand what was going on in that movie. So the question then becomes, have they lost their, you know, ability to translate it uh, for mm-hmm. not just general audiences, but even the hardcore fans, I think, wanted more. Mm-hmm. Going back to the book point, though, one of the things I think we were OK with, and I know we weren't always OK, but things being cut, we have no context for what has been left out because we don't know the story ahead of time like we did with Potter. So I think that's also another major hurdle that they have to try and overcome. And Mm. Rowling had Steve Clovis for pretty much all the films, I think, except for one, right? Where there was another screenwriter. She's essentially the screenwriter now. So she doesn't have somebody that she can go to with the story and say, okay, here, tell me what we can do, what we can't do, and have that kind of dialogue and that kind of conversation. I would almost wonder if she consults with somebody like Steve Clovis while she's writing so that 
she makes sure that everything that needs to be in the film is in the film and there's not all these plot holes. I felt like there was just too much happening in, in Crimes of Grindelwald. I think that's the biggest piece of feedback that we got from most fans and listeners that went to go see it is just too much is happening, too many characters, and not enough substance and plot. Mm-hmm. One of the big questions is, what will this do to the release date, if anything? Mm. Warner Brothers hasn't really officially announced it, but it's been presumed that they would release it November 2020 because the first two films came out in November. Um, we had been talking about a summer release. <laughs> this isn't going to push it earlier. So I don't know, <laughs> Andrew. Maybe, and... maybe you'll get your summer release blockbuster, Harry Potter film. <laughs> right, but in maybe... 2021 instead of 2020. Yeah. Right. I mean, God, that's so far away. Am I going to be alive by then? Are any of us going to be alive by then? Who knows? It's a long time. I mean, Not if somebody it... gets reelected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Micah, you beat me to the punch on that. <laughs> Man. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's we still don't know because one of the big one of the big issues is that there are a lot of special effects involved in these movies mm-hmm. and those take a lot of time especially if they need to look phenomenal and they do need to look phenomenal this is a this is a a level product this is a <laughs> i don't know what i'm trying to say and i'm <laughs> guessing they're going to be spending some time down in rio I yeah maybe if they're if that if that's to be believed sort of filmed on location. <laughs> what if Warner Brothers is like? What if Warner Brothers is like J.K. Rowling? No, we can't go to another <laughs> city for this franchise. We got to keep it in one place. Otherwise, you got to rebuild the world, and it just gets confusing again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm sure a large portion of it was recorded on studios at Leavesden, but I'd like for them to do some you know location film work. Um, but it's just yeah. that no, maybe no place on earth looks like it did in the 1930s today. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's fair. So th- there is some leeway. I'm just saying story-wise that they kind of have to reset the scene every time they move to a new city. You know, you got to introduce new characters, new locations. That just takes up time. Yeah, but James, James Bond has done like 25 films like that. So it does work. Yeah. Or it is it is possible. Like there's a formula for it. True. So, I mean, we really haven't got I was hoping that one of these trade sites like the Hollywood Reporter or Variety would offer some more information on why there's been a delay, but none of them say exactly why. So, who knows? Maybe we'll find out as time goes on. Another potential issue is that pushing production might um means some actors are less available right so we'll see if uh that causes any issues um none of these reports noted that an actor would run into an issue so i guess everything's good for now i feel like johnny depp is a busy guy and eddie redmayne is sort of busy jude law he's busy yeah he he can't wait around (laughs) he's gonna be in captain marvel yeah yeah so that's already shot, though. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. But I mean, he's, you know, he's, we're going to see a lot of him in the next couple months, I think. Is Kevin Guthrie coming back to play Abernathy? Wow. Is Wolf Roth coming back to play Spielman? Are they available? <laughs> I sure hope so. These films need more Spielman. <laughs> Derek Ritt, I'm just going through the IMDb. Oh, I'm going to reach out to all these actors as publicists. Excuse me, are they going to be able to make it? Um, Might get an answer that way. Yeah, Kevin Guthrie has absolutely nothing going on, sir. 
<sighs> Worst publicist right. ever. <laughs> <laughs> How about the McGonagall actress? Is she free for this production to play? <laughs> Jessica Williams? You have the inside track there, Andrew, so you need to send an email and find out. Yeah, I'll get looking. I have an IMDb Pro account. I can call all these publicists. Mm. Just kidding. I'm an introvert. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> All right, so it's time now for Chapter by Chapter. We're discussing Half-Blood Prince Chapter 14, Felix Felicis, this week. We're going to start off, as always, with our seven-word summary. All right, guess I'm up first. Yeah. I'm going to go with Ron. Mm, Hates. (laughs) Being left. We're not going to have enough room. <laughs> Out. Of. Snogging. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work, guys. Nice. Look at us. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Micah, do you want to take the lead on this? Sure. So, one of the things that uh, I wanted to note at the top of this chapter for Felix Felicis is that It is one of the chapter titles that J.K. Rowling revealed on her website all the way back in 2004. So 15 years ago when we were all, uh, well, some of us, I wasn't at MuggleNet yet, but uh, I remember all the hype around J.K. Rowling opening up that locked door on her website. And uh, she revealed three chapter (laughs) titles. The first one was Spinner's End, which we've done. Uh, Draco's Detour. Did we do that one yet? Uh, yeah, that was, I think, three. Chapter three, okay. maybe? Chapter six. Six. Oh, wow. Got it. And Felix Felicis. So uh, all three chapter titles now we've gone through. And uh, Felix Felicis, we didn't know what it was prior to this book, right? I don't think it was yeah. introduced. So. A lot of people thought it was a person. Ah. Yeah. I, I remember I remember having those conversations. Of course, this didn't happen on MuggleCast, because MuggleCast was not a thing until after book six was released. But if it, <laughs> but, but if it had been a thing, we all would have been like, who's Felix? Who's Felix? Have, yeah. have we met Felix before? Where's he? Where's he from? What's his deal? What kind of accent does he have? Who's Felix? Yeah. I, I just remember having those types of conversations. I don't. I don't know that anyone in particular that I spoke to was like, "Oh, it's going to be a potion." Like that. That's really really cool. Not only that, they tied it to the description that was revealed on her site that was for uh, Rufus Scrimgeour. So people were saying that. Those two were connected. That Felix mm-hmm. was the lion-maned, grizzled folk. Right. Mm. This chapter, and we'll get to this at the end, but this chapter needs to be renamed, renamed because he doesn't even actually use Felix Felicis. So. <laughs> That's a great yeah, point. But, but as long as you believe in luck, luck is inside of you all along. Laura, by the end of the book, when they're when spells are actively not hitting them because they took some Felix, I think I'd argue that that's not true. There's just a whole lot of teenage angst going on in this chapter. That's the best way that I could really describe it. Yep. You know, I have to say, and this is just sort of a blanket statement, in rereading this chapter, I gained a whole new appreciation for J.K. Rowling's understanding of teenage angst like she really got it you know i was reading it and i was having all of these memories of my own angst from 
you know, those years <laughs> of my life. And I was like, damn, she really gets kids. Like she really does. I mean, it's it shouldn't be a surprise because she used to teach and all of these things. But it was just really cool to have that sort of like moment where in retrospect, you're like, I recognize on the surface, this whole situation is totally ridiculous. But it didn't feel ridiculous at the time. You know, at the time mm. when you're 15, 16 years old, that's everything. Mm-hmm. So I, well, I really appreciated how she captured that. And yeah, I totally agree. There's a quote that I'll cite in a little bit, but she really knows how people can be feeling. And I think I said this on a on a recent episode. She is really good at capturing the human experience, uh, what it feels like to go through certain things. And I'm more appreciative of it now than when I was a kid and having less life experience under my belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least, um, you know, when you're younger and you're having all of these uh, really confusing feelings, but you're too embarrassed and, and shy and awkward to be up front about feeling that way. Like, I remember when I was reading this, I was like, man, I had so many like dramatic situations like this when I was a teenager, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I was too embarrassed to admit they were happening. So I tried to play it cool. <laughs> but now I'm 30. So now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that happened. <laughs> that was kid Laura. Yeah, it was me. That's so kid Laura, <laughs> young Laura. So one of the biggest... um aspects of teenage angst happening in this chapter is is harry for the first time acknowledging the potential for a ron and hermione relationship which is significant because of course they end up and harry tries to draw out draw out two scenarios in this uh early on in the chapter he wonders first what would happen if they broke up could their friendship survive it and the other scenario he thinks is what if they became like Bill and Floor and it became excru- excruciatingly embarrassing to be in their presence <laughs> so that he was shut out for good. Um, we used to play a segment here on the show called What If? And I thought we could kind of do it for both of these now. So could their friendship, Ron and Hermione's and Harry's friendship, survive a breakup between Ron and Hermione? Probably not, right? No. <laughs> Those two, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I've always shipped Ron and Hermione, but they're they're a little bit unstable, especially in the books. Um, and then, you mm-hmm. know, apparently later on, time turners come into it and really screw everything up. Um, they're, they're both, they can both be pretty immature with each other. They can. They can. And that's that's a big reason why they wouldn't have been able to uh, survive as friends after a breakup. I mean, even in this chapter, you see how at odds they are with one another. One another. Could you even imagine what would happen if they were at odds with one another after a breakup? I think the timing is important. Harry relies on both of them pretty heavily. And they, for their part, also rely on Harry. Mm-hmm. And so I think that had their relationship you know, really taken off, say, year four, year five, or even in year six, and, you know, ended unexpectedly within the next year, they still would have, I think, all banded together to help Harry, you know, defeat Voldemort and things. So I I think they would have still been friends, maybe through, like, 
some level of circumstance and then gone their separate ways. I, I tend to think that Harry, you know, these three characters, their personalities are such that they really bring each other together. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably why Harry feels so awkward about all of it. One thing, though, that you made me think about is does Harry, Ron, Hermione have friends outside of each other that they would turn to if something like this did happen? <laughs> well, Hermione's close to Ginny, we hear, but that's never really shown too much like harry will go down to breakfast and hermione will be sitting next to Ginny. but i don't like know that we know much about their friendship harry and luna they could they're a little close that's true neville so there's there's others that that's a fair point but you're right i mean this is what happens in relationships you get in a relationship with somebody and then you stop spending time with other people and then god forbid but it does happen you break up, and then you're like, oh, shit, who do I hang out with now? <laughs> I wasn't hanging out with anybody but that person for the past two years. <laughs> uh, so uh, life lesson to everybody. Uh, maintain friendships while in relationships. <laughs> advice from Andrew. It's good advice. <laughs> uh, something I need to keep in mind personally. You, Andrew, you should start a segment called Andrew's Advice Corner. <laughs> Inspired by what we're discussing in the Harry Potter books. <laughs> Don't be like me, kids. <laughs> what's, what's interesting about the what-if scenario here, though, is that in this chapter, it is almost like Harry is dealing with the ramifications of a breakup, but the two of them haven't even gotten together yet. Yeah, you're right. It, it is interesting kind of how, especially when you're you know young and a little less mature, how the beginning and the end of a relationship really can serve as like bookends that sort of mirror each other in that you see a lot of the same tension and bickering happening early on before they get together, you know, and then later at the end, if they end up splitting up, you see sort of the the same habits reflected. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just not just about Ron and Hermione. That's just about any teenage pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like if they had, let's say they got together in book six, they broke up, they were broken up through the summer, going into book seven. I feel like once they defeated Voldemort, they would have gotten back together. Like they would have watched him disintegrate into a million pieces and then they would have run towards where Voldemort just stood and start making out. <laughs> Andrew. But the other scenario, <laughs> what? I don't know if that's something you would do. But I don't think that's something most people would do. Especially not in the books, because he doesn't disintegrate in the books. He's a corpse. So they just right. be kissing over. I know. They just be- <laughs> I'm kidding about that part. Yeah, yeah. I know that's a movieism. Oh, my God. Uh, a really um, bad or, one, Well, too. fine. Fine. They start making out over Voldemort's dead body. You happy? <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, but I really do think that at the end of book seven, they would have gotten back together if they had gotten together in book six and the broke up. I don't know. It's just Ron's character, and we'll get into this when we get into the chapter, but almost as a bookend here, like he just decides when he's unhappy to make everyone else as miserable as possible. He goes around shouting at young kids who are like in his way or whatever. He's just decidedly a miserable person when he's not. And like it's he's the cause of his own unhappiness. And so I don't know if their friendship could survive a breakup. Uh, Ron and Hermione's because he is just committed to being an ass about this. 
Mm-hmm. Like even when they're not together, he is thoroughly miserable. And you know, it just it it's actually this this chapter lays bare Ron as a character, like his flaws, his biggest yeah flaws. So. Just briefly, the other what if situation that Harry wonders, like I said, um, what if they become like Bill and Floor? The Cursed Child actually offers glimpses of Ron and Hermione's relationship. I don't think it's Bill Floor level bad, but they do have some lovey dovey moments. Like there's that one quote The truth is, I love you, Hermione Granger, and whatever time says, I'd like the opportunity to say so in front, in front of lots of other people. Again, sober. We found out in The Cursed Child that Ron was drunk the first time he married Hermione. So, you know, they have some lovey-dovey moments, but nothing as extreme as Bill and Floor. So Harry doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah, Hermione has too much sense. (laughs) Yeah, I do find it interesting. And I think this is definitely typical of any 16-year-old. But Harry's mind, like the worst case scenarios that he jumps to are the ones that would also have an impact on him. So it could does somewhat show a degree of selfishness about like, how is this relationship going to impact me? Yeah. Yeah. It's a valid question though. I can't, I can't fault him for that because these are his two best friends and he could potentially lose them as he knows them. Very good point. And we see this. We see it when Ron and Hermione are, are fighting over McLagan and Slughorn's Christmas party. And I think two things here. Ron is clearly jealous of McLagan, but I think he's also really feeling left out when Harry and Hermione are getting the opportunity to go off and be a part of the Slug Club, even though Harry's trying to duck every opportunity to participate. Ron is by himself, and I think he feels like he's been a part of this team for so long. What is it about him that makes him not fit in to be a part of the Slug Club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he gets that so much in this chapter. Like He's not in the Slug Club. He's screwing up at Quidditch practice. He's never made out with anyone, and his little sister calls him out on it. <laughs> like That yeah. sucks. <laughs> the most embarrassing thing <laughs> yeah. of all. It's true. And I mean, this just goes to uh, what Ron has always dealt with is being left out. The Weasleys are kind of this other family. They don't have much money. Their home is a mess, even though we muggles think it's cool. And, uh, you know, once again, he's just gotten the short stick. Yeah. And, you know, he's just feeling left out once yeah, again. I mean, this being is different. This is like prototypical of the one of the younger children in a large family you know they're put in a position where in order to be seen and be heard they have to be louder and they have to make you know they have to kind of draw attention to themselves and it seems like this is ron's method of doing that yeah he's what the sixth son Mm -hmm. it's just crazy um or as the horcrux puts it the least loved of a mother who wanted a daughter yeah it's crazy Ouch. rough he does have it a bit rough yeah and i mean i was planning on bringing this up later but i also just mentioned now shame on slughorn for creating this exclusive club like this is just not a good thing to have in a school where you're trying to teach children good lessons this isn't a good lesson no i mean he's a horrible educator <laughs> he's really bad <laughs> and then we get into some of harry's own personal situations that he's trying to work through because he ends up choosing Dean 
to join the Quidditch team with them over Seamus, which causes its own problems between Harry and Seamus. It seems like Seamus is very upset with him, and now another potential friend is is pissed off. Um, but then there's the whole Dean and Ginny dynamic, and he's just given the opportunity to join the Quidditch team to somebody who is dating the girl that he doesn't really know yet, but he really likes deep down inside. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to make of all this. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it's just it's just a mess right now. <clears throat> and as, as we were talking about, when you're young, it seems like everything's coming to a head at once. <laughs> the timing of it is interesting. Like, there's just all these annoying things that are going on right now. Yeah. I mean, I have to give Harry some credit here, though, because he's having all of these, like, really confusing very intense feelings, especially when he sees Dean with Jenny in the corridor. But he keeps that to himself, right? Like, it's okay to have a visceral reaction to something that comes across unpleasant to you, as long as you don't start taking it out on the other person. Right. Right. And he's still being kind to her, whereas Ron is just like all over her, saying some really horrible things to his sister. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point about Harry keeping it to himself. It's a very, very good point, especially in those moments where that the monster inside him agrees with what Ron is saying in the moment. Ron is making these ridiculous things and Harry's like inner self is nodding approval. He keeps silent. Yeah. So that's great. But also Ginny in this scene where she is caught and reacted i just have to give her mad props because she is standing up for herself she does not need any assistance on this front i love it she just lays it on the line it is none of my is none of your business who i snog how many people i see you know she just really hands it to ron and she's exactly right so this is the moment i was referring to earlier when i said jk Rowling can capture how humans feel so Harry walks into this situation. Dean and Ginny are snogging and he experiences the feeling of being cheated on. He says, J.K. Rowling says, it was as though something large and scaly erupted into life in Harry's stomach, crawling at his insides. Hot blood seemed to flood his brain so that all thought was extinguished. He feels like he's being cheated on. And and I think we've all experienced this feeling at some point in our lives, seeing something romantically occur that you wish you didn't see happen and that you wish (laughs) was uh, a different way. (laughs) Maybe you kissing that person. Oh yeah, Yeah. totally. And it's, it's so interesting that you bring up the idea that Harry's experiencing the feeling of being cheated on here, even though he's not being cheated on at all. Right. Um, Because it, it is truly a thing you can experience. I, when I was younger had a situation where I was really, into somebody that I was super close with. And we ended up having a falling out. And I went to therapy about it. And I was like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. We weren't actually together. Um, I have no no right to feel this way. And my therapist pointed out, she was like, well, just because you weren't officially together doesn't mean that this can't feel like a breakup. Right. Mm. It still can. Absolutely. Yeah. Harry feels like he's been cheated on because he's he already has feelings for Jenny and he wants to be with Jenny. Right. Jenny should be with nobody else. But he hasn't done the work of like he hasn't done the work of like attaining obtaining consent consent and 
like actually getting Ginny to be his. He just assumed right. her. His heart, but he has feelings it. for her still. But I mean, you could still be in this situation because let's say you you have a crush on somebody mm-hmm. and you're hoping that you two end up together, but then you walk in on your crush kissing Dean. It's that that's heartbreaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether or not you're in the relationship. But is he still a bit in the discovery phase with Ginny? I f- I feel like with Cho, he knew straight away that he was interested in Cho. But for Ginny, it seems like it's slowly kind of working its way below the surface and finally it's starting to come come out right now. Mm-hmm. He almost had to see her like this, I think. He almost had it like this is the trigger that like awakens Harry. I mean not not just the you know the monster or whatever, but uh, <laughs> to really to really stop seeing her as just Ron's younger sister. Like she's independent, she's acting on her desires and he wants that. He covets uh her desires and he wants to you know uh what's the word foster you know more connection between him and her so i do agree michael like i think this is this is what generates or or brings a lot of those feelings uh to the surface and and you said it because the way that he even questions himself is as a older brother to Ginny. is that why he's feeling the way that he's feeling he almost passes it off as that at one point Mm mm-hmm he passes it off as that, but I think he's in denial. Yeah. How could he feel this way for that reason? Yeah. Yeah. When I first read this book, I was like, oh, chess monster, that's such a ridiculously over-the-top explanation. But you know what? As I've grown up and I've felt some of the chess monster yep. stuff, I'm like, you know what? No, this is exactly surprisingly accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just mad props to J.K. Rowling. Like you said, Laura, like, I don't know if it's that she's a teacher. I don't know if the, it's that she's a parent. But or I don't know if she, that she was was a human teenager once too. But I'll be damned if this isn't pretty accurate stuff. <sighs> now you know how I feel towards you, Eric. What oh, I'm going Andrew. through. It would never work, mm-hmm. Andrew. It would never work. Oh, no, don't say oh, that. You two That's... have been dancing this dance for years. <laughs> 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 I moved to Chicago for you. <laughs> okay, okay. If I if wow. I if I get some quality Brooklyn time, I will consider going on three dates. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, well, deal. Yeah, deal. Don't, don't can you teach him Harry Potter spells? Oh my god! <laughs> yes, I can teach uh, Brooklyn some Harry Potter spells. Pat can come too. Great. Oh, great. <laughs> this will go well. <laughs> so, um, I thought it was also interesting in this chapter. Ron, meanwhile, is mad about learning about Hermione's kiss with Victor. So both Ron and Harry end up with the person who they're feeling sick over in this chapter. <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing, maybe. Yeah. So I had a question about the timeline of this so would that would have happened in goblet of fire when hermione was 14 right yep yes go on (laughs) and crumb i believe was 18 yes in that book and that i know for like four years is not a lot of time for like people who are all above the age of 18 and who are all legally consenting adults. But it is it four years is like eons apart between a 14 year old and an 18 year old. So this just kind of like squicked me out a little bit. I was like, Oh, that like reading it as a child, I didn't really think that much of it. I was like, Oh, he's only four years older than her. And now as an adult, I'm like, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know what uh Jakey Rowling was really thinking there. I guess they're both students and Well, I mean, that's... and it happens. Like 
that that is a thing that happens in the real world all the time. So it's not necessarily that I'm even faulting her for writing it that way, because I think it's realistic. Mm-hmm. But it still made me uncomfortable. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. let's be clear. I don't think Hermione and Crumb snogged like like the way that snogging is used in this book, like of just like obnoxiously making out. Um, I tend to picture it in my mind's eye as as you know maybe they kissed, maybe it was t- like tender either dur- during the U ball or some somehow throughout that year. You know, like I I just I feel like if they kissed. It was very almost chaste, like it was very not, you know, the kind of things we see later in this book. I, I, and and because like we know, and isn't it book five? She keeps in touch with him. She she and Crum uh, are pen pals while she's traveling, if I'm remembering correctly. Like it just seems like they had like a nice, like they, I don't know, saw something in each other or got something out of each other. It never really, you know, grew up or never really amounted to much, but. It was just like a nice, you know, I just imagine if, if they kissed, it was just like a nice, quick sort of thing. Maybe. We'll yeah. never know. Unless J.K. Rowling decides to release some bonus content on Pottermore. <laughs> Crimes of Grindelwald deleted scene. <laughs> Adding that in for us. <laughs> well, this this sibling war of words between Ron and Ginny is uh, potentially even more intense than some of the uh, duels we see in the series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would argue. Uh, and Ginny is really on fire. I mean, she lays into Ron, and if Ron could feel any worse uh, than he already is, uh, he definitely uh, does. So, uh, I and I've never seen this side of, of Ginny before. I think that's what's so interesting about this part of the chapter is that, you know, Ginny's been such an integral part of the series throughout, going all the way back to really Chamber of Secrets. But now we're starting to see more of her, and and she stands up for herself and puts Ron in his place. Mm-hmm. So Ginny's emotions are coming from being caught, I think. Uh, but what? I don't think so. I, not from being caught. I think mm-hmm. from being judged by her yeah. older brother. For uh, maybe caught's the wrong word. Uh, being, I don't know. Just it, it's kind of embarrassing, especially when you're a kid, to be seen making out with somebody when you were trying to have a private moment so i think that's a bit of a, a bit of a factor i mean it's but, it's that and it's the fact that it was her brother who did the interrupting mm-hmm. um it's the fact that he's low-key slut shaming her mm-hmm. and it's it's all it's like an amalgam of things that come together to make her react in that way which in my opinion was totally justified because ron was being kind of a dick here yeah and what are Ron's emotions stemming from? Is he jealous that he's the only one who ain't snogging anybody? I think it's that Cause... and toxic masculinity. Um, this idea that older brothers are supposed to be their little sister's uh, you know, sort of caretakers, and they're supposed to be aggressive towards any man who would lay his hands on her. So I think it's a mixture of the two. Mm. I thought a little bit about Fred and George in this chapter too, and and I don't think that they would have reacted the same way that Ron did. No, they are uh, more well, carefree, aren't they? Well, we neglected to bring this up 
during the the Weasley's Wizard Weezes chapter, but they get pretty into it with Ginny as well. They go when they're in their shop and they're everybody wants you know a piece of Fred and George. They go straight up to Ginny and start asking her, like reading her the book. They're like, "Are you or are you not dating so and so?" And and she's just like, "None of your business, none of your business." But they are keeping tabs on her too, and it it. In that chapter, if if y'all just go back and want to look it over, it really feels almost as inappropriate as Ron is behaving in this chapter. I think mm-hmm. I think they I think they do suffer from the same sort of like like Laura was just saying this guardianship, this self imposed idea that they are her keeper somehow. Um, that Ron does. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to be fair, Ginny's in the middle of a what is it? A common shortcut used by all Gryffindors to get up to their tower. <laughs> They're kissing right behind a portrait. Like you would think it was a secluded area that Ron has no business being in. But when you learn it's a shortcut that all the Gryffindors use, it's like, oh, okay. They're just they are in the middle of a hallway, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Who wrote this Malfoy in the girls section? I don't know who's green. Uh, me. Th- this is a this is a big deal that I think gets overlooked, and I wouldn't want to go through this book overlooking this. But when Ron, right after the sort of Ginny, uh, Dean, Harry, Ron blow up, Ron is of course very disturbed. Uh, Ginny made it very personal, talking about Auntie Muriel, and they're walking along a particular seventh floor corridor. They do this a lot in this book, which is great writing from Joe. They just happen to be on the seventh floor randomly. And Ron shouts at this little girl, this uh, probably first or second year student who's holding, I think, some toad spawn. And the girl freaks out because Ron's like, oh, get out of my way, whatever he's running through. And she drops the the toad spawn. It shatters. There's this loud clanging. Harry, too, is so distracted by his chess monster that he walks past the girl doesn't think about it twice what later transpires and what we realize about this scene is that that is actually they're along the seventh floor corridor they're right outside the room of requirement and this girl was either crab or goyle disguised uh via polyjuice potion and the toad spawn that she dropped was a warning sign. So Draco is very much in the room of requirement now. We know he's vending the vanishing, vanishing cabinet. And this is the the signal that they worked out to kind of keep Draco from being caught by Harry. So hmm. it's a really clever, it's, you know, blink and you'll miss it. Oh, a girl drops a toad spawn, Ron shouts at her. This is uh, the way that J.K. Rowling peppers in these clues. Hmm. And Ron doesn't know it, but he's doing what he always does, bullying Crab and Goyle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, that, interesting connecting the threads, though, with Polyjuice, given that Ron and Harry transform into Crab and Goyle in Chamber of Secrets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And it's just, I really wonder how this plan developed. It's, you know, we'll get into this in the later chapters, but Draco is being escorted from Quidditch, you know, by by two younger girls. I don't know how Draco convinced Crab and Goyle to do this or if they're even consenting in this route. They're just his lackeys but, at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it. Yeah, they'll do whatever. Yeah. He's the boss. Yep. All right. So we finally now get to the Felix Felicis part of the chapter, and and Ron has just been, as we've talked about, miserable. He's at practice, Mm -hmm. not performing, 
He is just hanging his head low and everybody is down for breakfast in the great hall. And Harry fakes putting Felix Felicis into Ron's pumpkin juice. And Hermione Mm -hmm. catches this, but doesn't say anything at the time. But this really sets a lot of uh, more angst, I would say, teenage angst part two uh, (laughs) into motion in this chapter because we have the Quidditch match. Gryffindor ends up winning. Ron performs amazingly well. And they have this confrontation post-match and uh, it all kind of blows up from there. Yeah. I'm surprised that Hermione would voice what Harry was doing in that moment to warn Ron. Yeah. That just feels kind of unlike her to me because doesn't she trust Harry? Like, does she think that Harry is poisoning his best friend? No, she's just a stickler. (laughs) for rules and i think Uh i mean harry voices later on in the chapter that he purposely did it that way so that she would say something to draw ron's attention to it um and i mean she is correct in pointing out that putting the felix felicis in the drink uh unbeknownst to ron is illegal Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. she was i mean hermione is still at a point in the books where she is you know, very much beholden to rules, um, unless, of course, she's trying to bend the rules in her own favor, which Harry calls her out on, and which is really great. Yeah. Uh, but this doesn't surprise me at all. I think it's definitely in her character. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought, though, that the interaction that happens between Ron and Hermione, once the truth is revealed, Ron just rounds on her and and you know, said, oh, you didn't think I was good enough to do this without Felix Felicis? What does that say about how you feel about me? And But meanwhile, for the last however many hours, he was believing the fact that he was on Felix Felicis. So, I, you know, it, it's very... I don't know what to think of Ron in this chapter. I mean, he treats Hermione like shit. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was most unexpected yeah. at when all is revealed super unexpected that he should round on Hermione like that. That's just Ron. He's courting, you know, sadness. He just, he just wants to make her, everyone miserable. Yeah. Enjoy the lesson you just learned. Right? <laughs> yeah. Has anybody, uh, has any of us, have any of us had this experience where like we may have thought where positive thinking led to a better outcome? I think that's every day of my life. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm learning that a little bit more as I get older, that, that positive thinking can have, uh, you know, beneficial effects. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know if you, I don't know, maybe it's about how mature you are at, at certain times, but I feel like when I was younger, I didn't, I don't know if I, I would believe more in sort of the, the Felix Felicis approach, but as I, as I get older, I, I actually do believe a lot more in sort of positive thinking dictating you know how certain things go mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree i know people our age who uh, who quite often think negatively and i'm like oh how do you live like that yeah. and i have to constantly push back against their negativity do some meditation do some yoga <laughs> i don't know what to tell them mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure also i got this um a friend of mine got me this like five-year memory book for Christmas. And it's got enough spaces for me to write 
one positive thing that happens every day. That's cool. Well, for five years. And then at the end of the five year period, you can go back and look over everything and realize, oh, the last five years were actually really great. All of these wonderful things happened to me. But that's not something yeah. that a, it would occur to a teenager to do. Again, this is an area where I was like super angsty and stewed in my angst as a teenager and wanted to believe that the world was just out to get me. So this, again, it's not unusual. And it's just another, you know, uh, another bit of evidence to show what great character development uh, Joe has for, for for all of these people, and also her insights into what it's like to be a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this past Friday in your positivity diary, did you write Fantastic Beast 3 is taking more time <laughs> to flesh out the story? <laughs> it's a good memory. I know. <laughs> I gotta say, for a plan that Harry hatched just the night before, uh, the execution was an A plus, right? He 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 did the uh, tipping the potion thing into the glass just as Hermione was coming. It achieved the desired effect. She calls him out on it, mm-hmm. and his response to her, where he says "confunded anyone lately," he whispers it back to her, is sharp. That is like mm-hmm. just so cuts to the core of Hermione's. Uh, hypocrisy here a little bit when she wants to come at him for the rules right. but it also just probably worsens hermione's state of mind now that I not that know. harry meant it <laughs> to come across that way but now it's hermione who's broken the rules not harry as as we're meant to believe mm-hmm. or not both of them together now it's just her where she's been somebody who is by the book by the rules for so long a period of time so it's interesting to see her now kind of in a different in a different light, but she did it with all good intention. And that's probably the frustrating part, um, given how Ron is acting towards her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just funny because I, I sort of felt like it was implied as well in Harry's response that, okay, well, how did Ron get on the Quidditch team? Mm-hmm. Why are, why am I dealing with all this shit? Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. But if you ever told Ron that if you, if she ever, mentioned or if harry would ever mention he would never recover mm-hmm. it's just he's so fragile right and this is why i, I like my mm-hmm. love for the character of ron ends here and never recovers like i don't mm-hmm. think he's a valuable part of the truth Ouch. it's just because reading about him is so no it's just because reading about him is so difficult in this book i just i don't think i ever recover properly huh okay mm-hmm. yep a couple of other things that happened during the Quidditch match, and Eric, you alluded to this earlier when you were going over what was happening in the room of requirement, but Harry does note the fact that Draco is missing from the Quidditch match, and that's a pretty big thing for Draco, right? Uh, he wouldn't miss the opportunity to go head-to-head with Harry, so exactly. his absence would definitely have to uh, be for a good reason. Yeah, this is a recurring thing. Draco continuously, I think the next time Harry shows up at Quidditch, Draco's being escorted away by some girls. And he's and Harry's just like, "Where are you going?" And he's like, "I'm I'm not, you know, whatever." It, it just it bugs Harry to no end that Draco is like he knows Draco's up to something. And Draco, like you just said, like getting out of Quidditch is not normal behavior. And it's right. dri- it's going to drive Harry mad. Just absolutely crazy. Kill Dumbledore or defeat Harry at Quidditch. Which would I rather do today? <laughs> hmm. Priorities. Priorities. Hard hard decision. <laughs> yeah. And then probably my favorite part of the chapter 
and if we, we could do moment of the chapter, this would be mine when Ginny post-match uh, takes out Zachariah <laughs> yeah. Smith, uh, who has taken over Quidditch commentary from Lee Jordan. <laughs> and uh, she just crashes right into the booth and takes him out. And I thought that was just a awesome. And looking awesome out for moment. her brother, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he had made some quips about Ron's Quidditch ability. So I took that as looking out for Ron. Yeah, Zacharias was talking about both Ginny too, though. Uh, he said both of them yeah. were Harry Potter's friends, and that's the only reason they got it. She showed him his. The big thing for me was property damage. I was like, Ginny just totally destroyed a commentator stand. Uh, they have spells for that. Yeah, yeah I know. Riparo. That's like the thing. That's the. That's why it doesn't matter in the Wizarding World. You can just like mm-hmm. her excuse to McGonagall's sorry, Professor, forgot to break. Like <laughs> works <laughs> or is accepted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it happens. Pretty often. Oh, forgetting to break if you're a Quidditch player. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we get to the end of the chapter and Ron and Lavender Brown making out hardcore in the Gryffindor common room for all to see. <laughs> and that includes Harry and that includes Hermione. And uh, obviously doesn't bother Harry too much, but Hermione gets really, really upset. Uh, and I wondered here... Would Ron have reacted this way? Would he have gone and made out with Lavender if not for some of the other things that happened earlier on in this chapter, like Ginny calling him out? No, I, I think this makeout session was directly inspired by most of the events mm-hmm. that hurt Ron's feelings in this chapter. Yeah, that's fair. And plus, he's high on life yeah. right now. He just won the Quidditch match, yeah. so he feels like he can do anything, and that Quidditch match probably gave him some confidence. Yeah, and he's like, you're not going to call me an experienced Ginny. I'm going to eat Lavender's face in front of everybody. <laughs> Screw you. Check out my skills. <laughs> <laughs> Is that... That's how everybody sounds making out, right? Not just oh, me. It's definitely how it's described in the book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is my full experience of snogging. So, like, the word snogging is used a lot in this chapter. Um, And it's making out, right? But for some reason, just the word snogging, like, it really sounds to me like that would be what it would be like. Just people being like, like, all over each other, you know? And like it's just not appealing sounding. <laughs> Is it uh, <laughs> no? What's the literary term onomatopoeia or something where it's like it sounds like the word that it's saying, like belch or whatever? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like okay, so snogging is kind of like that a little bit, where it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, it's just not. I don't know if I would ever want somebody to describe my kissing style as snogging. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, it's just British slang oh i know it's I just guess. it sounds funny <laughs> it's it's like they call cigarettes over there fags right like mm-hmm. i wouldn't i wouldn't want to call it a fag over there <laughs> yeah no always cigarette for me <laughs> hey you got a fag what you call me yeah no you have a cigarette oh oh fun, a fun little aside <laughs> there so b- long before i was born my mom actually worked at the british embassy in atlanta and she told me the most confusing thing to her was one day she was at work and one of her colleagues was like, oh, I'm going to like pop around the corner and get a pack of fags. <laughs> and my, my, my mom was like, a pack? 
<laughs> I didn't know they come in threes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So anyway, I, the, the, if she was in West Hollywood, that may have been believable. <laughs> the cultural differences will never cease. I I hope that we continue to just put up a united front and point these out when they come up because they're cute. I love it. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. So the chapter ends with uh, Hermione pelting Ron with uh, the Apugno spell. And I just think it shows, uh, you know, in addition to everything that Hermione's going through in that moment, her really advanced magic to be able to do something like that. Uh, but Ron is, is, you know, obviously happy for the time being with Lavender. Hermione's super upset and Harry's stuck somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember reading this book for the first time when I got together with all of the MuggleNet fanfiction moderators <laughs> that summer. That's a oh. party. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was it was so <laughs> it was such a party. We were all sitting in um one of our parents' basements all just like with our heads craned over these books, not speaking to each other. <laughs> um, but we we all kind of came with the same takeaway. We were like, man, Hermione really regressed in this book. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the maturity level just tanked. Yeah. Well, it's uh, hard times, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Desperate, yeah. Mm. What's the next chapter? Just because it just seems so funny to me that we went from a chapter talking about young Tom Riddle <laughs> to being immersed in teenage angst uh, at Hogwarts to probably back to something serious. I, I, well, yeah, yeah, the, yeah next, exactly. the next chapter is called the Unbreakable Vow. So yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's just Ron is making an unbreakable vow. You will only kiss me. It didn't seem so disjo- disjointed or like jarringly. Um, hobbled together as it does when you put that on on paper and say it out loud, Micah. But yeah, I mean, the way that this book flutters from some really interesting backstory, like series-defining backstory, to just the whims of 16-year-olds is pretty, you know, delicate or at times a little messy. Right. But yeah. And and it is important that... We mentioned that at the very beginning of the chapter, Harry does give the information from his lesson with Dumbledore to Ron and Hermione. And even then, there's kind of friction between the two of them, Ron not understanding what the importance is of learning about Voldemort's past. And then Hermione's like, oh, well, I think it's really valuable for Harry to be able to learn about Tom as as sort of a young wizard. And so mm-hmm. that kind of sets the tone even for for what's to come. Mm-hmm. The next chapter should be about Tom Riddle snogging people. <laughs> no, that's Cursed Child. No. <laughs> <laughs> when Tom met Bella. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there were a couple of threads to connect, and I know it doesn't always have to be exactly connecting one chapter to another. Uh, it can be just common threads that are going throughout Half-Blood Prince and Chamber of Secrets. But uh, if you look back on chapter 14 of Chamber of Secrets... They, they do spend time in herbology class. Uh, they are working on the mandrakes. And in this chapter, when things start to really blow up between Ron and Hermione, they are working on Snargoleth pods. Hmm. Uh, hmm. And there is a very big Quidditch match that uh, takes place or is supposed to take place 
in Chapter 14 of Chamber of Secrets. It's between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, but it is canceled uh, due to Penelope Clearwater being petrified. So um, how did you find these? I looked at Chapter 14 of Chamber of Secrets. Wow, nice job. A plus to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I've actually got one more, too. Go for it. The toad spawn that got dropped, uh, or I think toad spawn is actually just tadpoles. Am I correct in thinking that? It's baby, baby toads. Um, anyway, it connects back to Chamber of Secrets uh, because a basilisk is born when a chicken's egg is hatched under a toad. Mm. And that's how you get a basilisk. So any any mention of toads or um, chickens, I always keep an eye on because... There was a theory at one point that the Weasleys could have a basilisk growing because they have all these chickens wandering around the burrow. I mean, it's one of those ones that (laughs) sounded so insane it would never come true. But you you think about it like Trevor is this random toad that's running around and there were chickens in the chicken patch and Hagrid's hut, you know, in year two. So there could have been a second Mm -hmm. basilisk. Like, Mm. I'm just saying. But... Wow. Anyway, remind, don't, uh, I don't think Mrs. Weasley would ever let that fly. Yeah. Reminds me of... Don't uh, Google image uh, Toad's Ball. Toad's Ball. Oh, <laughs> I mean, maybe in uh, Cursed Child Part 2, that'll happen. Three? Or yeah, excuse me, it's already got two yeah. parts. Part 3. Oh, it is kind of gross. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Why would you just carry this? It's crazy. <laughs> okay, anyway. Time now for MVP of the week. Who is yours, Micah? I gave mine to uh, Aunt Muriel for prior to this chapter being the only woman that uh, Ron was able to lip lock with. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. MVP no more, though, I guess, post chapter. Uh, Yeah, maybe. But she was still the first. I mean, where do you think Ron got those mad skills from? (laughs) 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 Uh, Eric? Yep. So my MVP of the week is actually in a rare move, Harry. I don't expect to give Harry many MVP points, but uh, in a bizarre twist in this chapter, he executes a very clever ruse, which achieves his desired effect. So got to give it to him. Okay. Mine is the placebo effect for inspiring Ron to have a great day. Oh. <laughs> Um, mine is also a bit of an unusual pick for me. I chose Ginny. Um, she's normally not my favorite. Typically, she kind of comes across as sort of Mary Sue-ish to me. Um, but I love the way that she advocated for herself and didn't need Dean to stay there. She actually sent him away <laughs> so that she could deal with it on her own. And I love the way that she really called Ron out and she was like, a what, Ron? Tell me, like, what is it that you're calling me right now? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I really love the way that she was able to call him on his bullshit and also, you know, show both he and Harry that she didn't have anything to answer for. Yeah. So go, Jenny. Yeah, go, Jenny. All right, let's rename the chapter now. As I said at the beginning of this, I don't think it should be called Felix Felicis because it wasn't actually used. True. What's yours, Micah? Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 14, You Charmed the Heart Right Out of Me. And that's actually a song by Celestina Warback, so Uh. I have to credit her with this chapter title. Love it. Uh, I did uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 14, Lip Locked. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lots of that. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 14, 
You're a heartbreaker, dream maker, <laughs> love taker. Don't you mess around with me. <laughs> A little long, but I think it works. So. I, th- I think it does, too. All right. I did Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 14, Snogging. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Snogging. Yeah. Snogging. A lot of that in this chapter. <laughs> I think from here on out, we need to create a chapter that also has a fun verbal twist to it in the way we say it. Mm. It has to be sung. It should be a challenge. <laughs> Snogging. You're a heartbreaker. And Micah, you could have sung You Charm the Heart Right Out of Me. <laughs> True. You charm the hearts right I bet you sing like Michael Buble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. That's chapter 14. Now it's time for some Quizzage. All right. Last week's question. Uh, we are, of course, back to Quizzage questions that have to do with the chapters that we are reading. So if you're following along with us at home, you can... Uh, Definitely do so, because next week's question will be for next week's chapter. Last week's question was, at what time is the first Gryffindor Quidditch practice without Katie Bell held? And the correct answer is 7 p.m. That is when they meet on the pitch in this chapter that we've just finished. And the correct answer was gotten by Kamira, Super Mandy, Jeff, Jennifer, Erica, Justin, Amani, Count Ravioli... Lynn Slay, Asim, Sarah, and where in the world is Kevin Stecky? <laughs> Coming soon to so, Netflix. Who is, who, yeah, who is still participating. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people were very honest. They said that they did not uh, know this from memory. So now you do. Huh. Everybody who had to look this up, you know, that's and that's perfectly legit. Um, got another difficult one. Very specific. Although I'd be surprised. Definitely let me know if you do get it from memory. Next week's question. What is the book that Harry Potter is assigned to read for charms class in the next chapter called The Unbreakable Vow? And just remember to at reply MuggleCast on Twitter where this game is played and use hashtag Quizich. If you have anything to say about this week's episode, we would love to hear from you. You can visit MuggleCast.com and use the contact form. You can also call us. We love hearing your voice. One nine two zero three Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. You can also tweet us, as Eric said, twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Um, we would also love your support over on Patreon. It's why we are doing the show every week. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And when you pledge, you will get instant access to lots of benefits. Uh, years of benefits <laughs> readily available for you immediately upon pledging you'll also be able to listen to our live streams so you can hear us as we record the episode and you can sound off as we are recording you can really influence the show because we're reading your feedback as we are recording thanks to the 15 people who are joining us this morning you also get a physical gift every year you also get bonus MuggleCast. you also have the chance to co-host MuggleCast. you also have the chance to win a monthly giveaway. This month's giveaway is a... Is, what is it, Micah? It is a unopened set of the Harry Potter series paperback edition here in the U.S. And uh, I think that's a pretty good prize to give away. It's good. Um, Eric and I both did boxes of crap. And <laughs> we were like, okay, Micah, you do a box of crap. And Micah, Micah's box of crap was actually a box of books. <laughs> paperback Harry Potter books. 
but but it's cool because they're old school Mary Grant Prix covers. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, they are. I, I haven't opened yeah. them, so and I I can't tell you with one hundred percent certainty. But you can, uh, you can tell. I'm looking at the books. You can tell. Um, yeah, you probably can tell by the uh, by the spines. Yeah, right. Mm. Mint condition uh, predates the Kazukibuishi and that new guy uh, book covers. <laughs> that new <laughs> guy. You mean Jim K. The illustrated editions? Is that no? That's not Jim K. Is it? I yeah, he's. The... I really don't think it is. What? No, he did the illustrated editions, but he didn't do. What are you the, talking about? The cover that's black and white charcoal. Oh, that are on all seven. Have you been to Barnes and Noble recently? I know what you're they have talking all those about. covers. Yeah, there's just too many versions of these books at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like those, but um, anyway, there's lots going on at Patreon.com/slash MuggleCast. Uh, one more plug on the MuggleCast website. We have our complete chapter by chapter archive. We had somebody ask earlier this week on Twitter, where can I listen to the episode where you talk about book one, chapter one? And I said, well, that's easy for us uh, to tell you mm-hmm. because we have this archive. It is available at MuggleCast.com if you want to listen to any uh, chapter analysis that we've done so far. And you can see our progress, which is pretty cool. It is our goal to eventually discuss every chapter in the books. It's going to be fun when we go back to just the very last chapter of book one. <laughs> just yeah. to do that one chapter and then the book is complete. <laughs> For some reason, we never did that chapter. Something, I guess, came up news-wise and then we just forgot oh. about it. So we will finally do that. Well, that's that. an opportunity. Yeah. 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 Aren't we missing some of Order of the Phoenix as well? Oh, yeah. there's yeah, uh, to, uh, There are several holes. <laughs> there's 28 chapters of Order of the Phoenix. Wait, how did this happen? I don't know, Laura. Without you on the show, we just we just <laughs> didn't have a you know guidance. Oh my god, I have my my work cut out for me. Here. You do, you do. I'll tell you what we're missing. We've done books two, three, and four complete. We've only done up to chapter ten in Order of the Phoenix. We're working on Half Blood Prince right now, obviously, and uh, Deathly Hollows is complete. So that's where we're at. Yeah. It was um, Brian Selznick, by the way. I looked up the illustrator of the new Harry Potter books. Yeah, if you want those black and white copies, but who wants that? Yuck. Charcoal with a giant snake. It's good for like colorblind people, I yeah. guess, but... That's not how colorblind works. <laughs> I just mean you can't appreciate... <laughs> if you can't appreciate the colors of Mary Grand Prix's work, yeah. then why even bother? Yeah. I mean, when someone's colorblind, it doesn't mean they can't see any color. It's just certain colors. Okay. I think it's, it's time to wrap it up. Moving Thanks, on. everybody, for listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Andrew's going <laughs> to kick me off the show after this. Please email in supporting me. <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.